Good morning. The battle is for your mind and for my mind. Two forces, two forces vie for our affection and our loyalty. One brings us eternal destruction. The other sends us into eternity with our Savior forever. Two texts brings this into focus. Two amazing texts that tell us we have no excuse at the end of time if we choose the wrong side. John 1.9, that was the true light which lighteth every man which cometh into the world. Everyone is given a light when he comes into the world. Romans 12.3, God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith, man and woman. These beautiful texts tell us that God has put within us, everyone that is born, a desire to know him, a desire to worship him, a desire to be transformed by him, a light that lighteth every man born, and God gives to every person a measure of faith. So therefore the battle is on for our minds, our will, and our decision-making. There is a part of our brain where God communicates with us if we allow him. That's our cerebrum. It's where we think. And he has placed there a desire for us to know him. So as we go on this morning, please remember our two texts. John 1, 9. God has put a light into everyone born. In Romans 12:3, God has given to everyone a measure of faith so that we are without excuse. Remember the battle is for our minds. We will look this morning at different characters in Scripture where this battle of the mind plays out in vivid detail. But before we do that, a story about a well-known and loved person in history from yesteryear. He lived in the 1600s and 1700s. His name is Isaac Watts. He wrote many hymns. Here is a tiny part of his story. The children might want to listen too. Isaac Watts was from yesteryear. He was a poet almost from birth. Poetry just seemed to pour out of his mouth. His father got so tired of it, everything he said seemed to come out poetry. One day his father said, Isaac, if you do not stay, stop making these poems, I'm going to take you out to the whipping shed. Isaac tried, but he just could not stop. So one day the father took him out to the backwood shed, and as he was about to apply the whip to him, Isaac looked up into his eyes and said these words, Father, please have some mercy take, and I will no longer verses make. One day, Isaac was in church at a prayer meeting. Are you children listening? <laughs> One day, he was in a prayer meeting. He heard a rustling over his head. He looked up and saw a rope coming down from the balcony. And a little mouse was coming down the rope. He could not help himself. As soon as the prayers were finished, he said these words. The little mouse, for want of stairs, came down the rope to hear the prayers. He continued to write poetry until thoughts like these came pouring from his pen around 1700. I sing the mighty power of God that made the mountains rise, that spread the flowing seas abroad and built the lofty skies. Poems and songs poured forth from his pen. He became very famous. One day in old England, 
They had a parade for him and for the Queen of England. People came out to see the Queen, but they also wanted to see the famous Isaac Watts. He was in a small carriage pulled by stately horses. In a balcony overlooking the street, two ladies stood anxious to see the great Isaac Watts. The truth was he was a very small man, about five feet tall. When they saw him, they were shocked. When they saw him, one of the women said, and he heard it, What? You are Isaac Watts? <laughs> Isaac heard what she said. He stood up in his carriage, reached out his small little arms, and said these immortal words. Could I in fancy reach the poles or hold creation in my span? I'd still be measured by my mind, for the mind is the measure of a man. This morning, let us keep these two texts in mind about the light and the faith that we've read. Our first character from Scripture will be Herod. We will look at a man obsessed with evil. The Bible and history tell us precisely who this man was. Herod the Great. When Jesus was born, the Jewish nation was under great oppression by Rome. The Roman Empire had vast and seemingly indestructible powers. Suspicion and doubt and intrigue reigned supreme. Matthew tells us Jesus was born in the days of Herod the king. This king was evil, personified, under the control of Satan. Here he was king of the Jews, but was the worst of the worst. He suffered severe physical deterioration and psychological issues during his final years in 13 B.C., onward to Christ's time of birth. Earlier in his reign, he had ordered the execution of his Marianne, his beloved wife. Can you imagine? And he had severe repercussions for this act. Years later, his sons hated their father for this act of cruelty. Someone informed Herod of the plan they had to overtake him and ordered and accomplished the execution of both of his sons in 7 BC. Later, Herod executed his remaining son, Antipas. He was obsessed with threats to his throne, both external and internal. So it was not surprising that when Jesus was born that he saw a threat to himself and ordered all the male children under the age of two to be killed, Matthew 2.16. Herod invested his life in building things like magnificent palaces, cities and temples and other palaces and more and more, theaters, stadiums, harbors, beautiful gardens, earthly things that do not last. One of his crowning acts was Masada. You Perhaps you know that story, where many Jews died. His most famous palace was Masada, famous in history, in the desert west of the Dead Sea, an oasis and refuge for him in those turbulent years. Up on this mountaintop that juts hundreds of feet above the desert floor, strategically planned to be safe from any attack from his enemies. Herod built luxurious gardens there. Even though this was far from fresh water supplies, he did it with slave labor for personal glory and grandizement. Today, Masada lies dormant and barren and empty. Archaeologists have discovered, however, a jar fragment in which is written in Latin, Herod the Great, King of the Jews. What a legacy to leave, a jar fragment. 
This was the first time this full name was found in Masada. Christ was given the same title by Pilate. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews, written in Greek and Latin and Hebrew. In considering this man, known to history and known in the Bible record, we need to understand that he met Jesus face to face. He had a chance to learn of salvation, he did, as did Nicodemus, as did the woman at the well, and as did Mary from Magdala. Herod had the opportunity to be changed and to be born again. Here we see earthly king of the Jews who should have known the scriptures. He should have known the Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem. We have this record in scripture, Luke 23, 8. And when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceedingly glad, for he was desirous to see him of a long season, because he had heard many things of him, and he hoped to have seen some miracles done by him. And he questioned with him in many words, but he answered him nothing. And the chief priests and the scribes stood and vehemently accused him. And Herod with his men of war set him at naught and mocked him and arrayed him in a gorgeous robe and sent him again back to Pilate. Herod met the Savior of the world and perceived it not. When Jesus said not a word when Herod mocked him, it suggests strongly that Herod had closed his own probation at that point. Jesus had no words to Herod. Herod was doomed to come up in the second resurrection and be gone forever. But he will also rise in the first resurrection in a special resurrection. Can you imagine that scene? Herod comes up out of his grave, the dusty bed, and looks up. And to his horror, he recognizes this same Jesus that he mocked, now surrounded by millions of angels, and Herod is lost. How do we know that Herod will see Jesus come? Well, we have a Bible verse that tells us that. He'll come in the clouds. Revelation 1, 7 tells us, Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye will see him, and those which pierced him. And all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Yes, this evil man will see him coming in the clouds. He will realize his worst nightmare. Can you imagine his horror? The Galilean is now king of kings. And Lord of Lords, Herod has no excuse. The battle was for his mind, but he lost that battle. God had given to him that light which lighteth every man, the same as he does to you and me. He was given that measure of faith, the same as he gives to us. But he was without excuse. Let us remember that phrase from Luke 23, that Herod was exceeding glad when he saw Jesus, but he will not be so glad this time. He will be his worst day of his life. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye will see him, and they also which pierced him. There it is, a prophecy that will be fulfilled. The battle was for his mind. Pilate, the battle was also for his mind. One of the most sad figures in all of the New Testament at one moment in time, it seems, he almost came down on the side of Jesus when he asked him, what is truth? What is truth? 
He ruled just a short 10 years, history tells us, as the government representative of, in Palestine from Rome. To the Galileans of all ages, since he had been known as a cowardly and a weak man in condemning the Lord of glory to death. He committed murder in Rome and was then sent to Judea to be the governor there. The historian Josephus tells us of many things Pilate did. Once he brought into the sacred Jewish temple in Jerusalem golden shields inscribed with Roman pagan gods. On another occasion, he came into the temple and stole money from the temple of God. Then even worse, he once killed some Jews who were worshiping there in the temple. Another historian tells us that Pilate took his own life six years later, discouraged and distraught. It seems he never forgot Jesus' face and his demeanor as he stood before him. By washing his hands after he gave the order to have him condemned on the cross, he never forgot the look of Jesus' eyes. The record of Pilate is recorded in all four Gospels, as well in Acts and in Timothy. Let us read this tragic story from Scripture, John 18. I am reminded of the book of Acts, where Felix said to Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. The Bible story strongly suggests that Pilate wavered. He repeatedly softened in looking at Jesus. But then Pilate, we remember, has that God-given light implanted in him and a measure of faith. But he chose to ignore that. He chose to come up with that first resurrection with Herod, his old pal. He will come from his dusty bed and see Jesus coming in the clouds of heaven, according to Revelation 1.9. He realizes that he's a lost man. After he knows this, he will be destroyed by the brightness of Jesus' coming. Behold, he cometh, we repeat the verse, with clouds, and every eye will see him, and they also which pierced him. So Pilate has an appointment with Jesus again, not of his own making, he will see Jesus coming down to earth, and Pilate cries out, Oh, what have I done? We come next to Caiaphas. The battle has been intense. Caiaphas and Jesus are in an epic battle of cosmic proportions, a mighty event in the great controversy between Christ and Satan. Caiaphas is the one most tragic figure in the Bible, it seems. He was the top religious leader of that time. He should have been a leader studying the scriptures, readying his people for the coming Messiah. He was the custodian of the great heritage of Israel, descendants of the patriarchs and the prophets of the Old Testament. Caiaphas loved his position and relished in the glory of it. As Christ, with his ministry, came upon the scene, the Israelite nation began to polarize. On one side was Caiaphas, the high priest. On the other side was the Galilean, who proclaimed that he was the Son of God. So you see, the battle was for the minds of the people. In the great controversy, the battle has always and will always be 
the battle for the mind and the heart. Caiaphas loved his position and relished in the glory of it. Then, but the world that then was, was found that it was the beginning to be polarized between two centers. On the one side was Caiaphas the high priest. On the other was Jesus Christ. Caiaphas was the most powerful man in Judaism at the time of Jesus. He had religious power that was absolute and political power that was absolute. A bad combination. He was the head of 20,000 priests at the time, history tells us. These all moved at his command. These were the spiritual leaders of his nation. So suddenly on one side was Caiaphas leading a marvelous institution with a great history and heritage. On the other side was Jesus Christ. And one or the other had to go. So you can begin to visualize the setting and the society that Jesus was born into and went forth to do his ministry in. It was tough. Can you imagine and feel the tension and the drama about to play out? Where would you have been? Where would you imagine you have been? Which side would you have come down on? When these two great forces came to meet each other, these forces were polarized. This Jesus came to town and started doing things that were a little different. He started tearing down the Pharisees' customs and the rules and the laws that they had made. He befriended sinners, those whom the Pharisees would not even talk to, or would walk on the other side of the street if they were coming down the street. Jesus started healing those sinners who had leprosy. Jesus went to dinner with the publicans and the common people and talked to them about salvation. Jesus went to eat and talked to the tax collectors and those who were hated by the Pharisees. Jesus let a prostitute bathe his feet with perfume and hours before he went to the cross and accepted her and gave her forgiveness. Jesus washed the disciples' feet when, as the custom of the day was, only servants would do such a thing. Jesus healed the mentally ill and the devil-possessed people, those who were sinners, those who the Pharisees said were ill because of their sins. Jesus told stories and parables about the Good Samaritan, a people who the Pharisees hated. Jesus preached a Sermon on the Mount where he enlarged the Ten Commandments into real meaningful concepts and soul-penetrating truths no one could miss. So in this great struggle, with whom would you have cast your vote if you were there? Would you have sided with the recognized institutional authority or would you have cast your lot with that Galilean preacher. On the high feast days and the days of atonement, all the people trembled at the presence of Caiaphas, the high priest. He was a representative before God, they thought. They believed that it was to him that God would speak and bring his message of forgiveness to people. He was the people's representative. He was responsible for safeguarding their religious heritage. When a glorious heritage the Jews had the Old Testament scriptures, Jesus came along and struck down the fakery and the evil of their customs, turning over the tables of the money changers in the temple. Always with his divine insight, getting the best of them in religious discussions. They were getting alarmed at his wisdom and the fact that a 
popular people's movement was occurring. This whole battle came to the high point as recorded in John 18, 19-23. Jesus answered him, And I spake openly in the world. I ever taught in the synagogue and in the temple, whither the Jews always resort. And in secret have I said nothing. Why askest thou me? Ask them which heard me what I have said. Behold, they know what I said. And when he had thus spoken, one of the officers which stood by struck Jesus with the palm of his hand, saying, Answerest thou the high priest so? I think that man will see Jesus coming. Jesus answered him, If I have spoken evil, bear witness of the evil. But if well, why smitest thou me? Jesus must have recoiled from a blow like that. So the religious leaders were in an uproar about what to do about this man, Jesus. He had some things that were in direct conflict with Caiaphas, words that were not very complimentary. In Matthew 23, Jesus spoke very firmly to the people, pointing out the terrible sins of the Pharisees. Jesus said words like these about the Pharisees. For they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. But woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, but ye neither go in yourselves, neither suffer ye them that are going in. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayers. Therefore ye shall receive the greater damnation. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you come past the sea and land to make one proselyte, but when he is made, you make him twice the child of hell than you yourselves. Ouch. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe on mint and anise and cumin, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment and mercy and faith. These ought you to have done, but not to leave the other undone. Ye blind guides which strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye make clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. Thou blind Pharisees, cleanse first that which is within the cup and platter, and the outside them may be clean. We might want to go back to the gnat and the camel for a moment. In those days, we just heard it this morning, in those days, the Jews would actually strain their grape juice or any of the drinks through a cloth into their glass, lest they swallow a gnat. That was their law, their spiritual thing. Jesus said, you'll strain out a gnat, but yet you'll swallow a camel. A metaphor that speaks for itself. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, for ye are like unto whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Ouch. Even so, ye are also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within ye are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. A few hours later, the curtain separating the holy place from the most holy place was ripped by an unseen hand, and their house was indeed left under them desolate. Caiaphas had only one purpose, that was to save the institution. 
He missed out on why Jesus had come to this earth. He missed out on Jesus' ministry of salvation. He will one day pay dearly when he looks up into the heavens and sees Jesus coming back in the clouds of heaven. Jesus said, Hereafter you will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds, and that day Caiaphas will be standing on the side of Satan himself. On one occasion, Jesus said that the religious leaders shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. We can visualize Caiaphas standing up and saying, This is blasphemy. I am the head of this religious people, and we open the door to salvation. And this man comes along and says, We shut the door. Jesus also struck at the financial structure of the church of that day. He said, You eat up the properties of widows, which was historically accurate, while you say long prayers for appearance sake, you will obtain a severe sentence for what you have done to the widows. Jesus had something to say about their mission program as well. We say it again. You travel over land and sea to make one proselyte, and in the end you make them twice the man of hell as you are yourselves. It is any wonder, it is, it is, is it any wonder that Jesus and Caiaphas were going to meet these two were heading for a showdown. People were beginning to sense the main event was upon them. Some were already seeing they had to stand on one side or the other. The people of Jerusalem were understanding that crisis was upon them. They had to stand for one or the other. Caiaphas would say something like this, I am the leader of God's people. Jesus would say, I am the resurrection and the life. Caiaphas would say, come to me and I will lead you. Jesus would say, come unto me and I will give you rest. Caiaphas would say, come to my parade and see my brightly colored robe and finery. Jesus would say, I will give you a robe of righteousness and salvation forevermore. Caiaphas said, trust me and follow me. Jesus said, I will acknowledge you before my Father in heaven so that you do not have to stand in the judgment. Caiaphas said, this man speaks blasphemy. Jesus said, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of God, coming in the clouds of heaven with millions of angels. Caiaphas said, I know, I know what is truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Caiaphas said, this man could not be the Messiah, for he did miracles on the Sabbath day. Jesus said, those who pierced me will be raised to witness me coming in the clouds of heaven to take my redeemed ones home. Caiaphas said, I am the final authority for my nation. Jesus said, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I was dead. Behold, I am alive forevermore. And so, my friends, every day we live is fraught with eternal consequences. The world and its heroes give us the call to be with them. Jesus gives us his invitation, come and follow me. A dear friend of mine, a theologian, who's now resting in Jesus, waiting to hear the trumpet by name of Edward Heppenstall, wrote these beautiful words. God through Jesus is saying to mankind, you can take me to Annas and shut me off to Caiaphas and back to Annas at midnight. 
then to Pilate, then to Herod, and back to Pilate. I am hungry, and I am thirsty. You can spend the entire night pushing and hauling me around, but I'm still going to love you. You can put a bag over my face and then hit me in the face and say, prophesy who hit you, but I'm still going to love you. You can push a crown of thorns on my head until the blood comes flowing down. You can put a purple robe on me to mock me and a reed in my hand to mock me. And you can make fun of me, but I'm still going to love you. You can spit in my face and put a cross on my back too heavy for me to carry. And I'm hungry and thirsty and I can hardly walk and I fall down but I'm still going to love you. You can march me up Golgotha's Hill at Calvary, and you can drive nails through my hands and feet, and you can set me up in the noonday sun, parched and thirsty, and I'm still going to love you. You can strip me naked before all the people there at Calvary, and I'm still going to love you. All of you can forsake me and leave me friendless, as did my disciples, save one. And I'm still going to love you. You can make me the object of the wrath of God by your sin, and you can cause a separation between me and my Father, as happened that Friday afternoon for three hours of darkness. But I'm still going to love you. You can torture me with the greatest hunger and thirst and kill me on that tree. And I'm still going to love you. The greatest evangelist who ever lived next to Jesus, the Apostle Paul, understood these principles. For he cried out, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Philippians 1.21 For in him we live and move and have our being. Acts 17.28 But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. Galatians 6.14 I am determined to know nothing among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. 1 Corinthians 2.2 Whosoever therefore will confess me before men, him will I confess before my Father which is in heaven. O blessed thought. Matthew 10:32 Revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ so it says in the very first verse of that blessed book we close with these two verses of scripture the first is so amazing it is heart throbbing for those involved you've heard the words before this morning let's listen again to these amazing words revelation 1:7 behold he cometh with clouds and every eye shall see him and they also which pierced him. Yeah. So Jesus is saying there will be a special resurrection at his second coming. Those who had gone to sleep but had to do with his death, Annas and Pilate and Herod and those who blindfolded him, hit him in the face and those who spit on him and those who beat him, those who drove the nails in the hands and the feet, they will have that horrible moment of coming out of their dusty beds to see Jesus coming in the clouds of heaven. 
realizing that they made an awful mistake.